Well, some days in life are extraordinary days. Uh, those kinds of days that just come alive with special significance and uh, burst with meaning. I think uh, this past Monday in Greater Boston was one of those days, Patriots Day uh, this year, with, uh, with a million spectators lining the marathon route from Hopkinton all the way to Boylston, and over 30,000 people running that race, everyone together just working hard to chase away the demons of last year. It was an extraordinarily beautiful day. Um, our pastor, senior pastor, Brian Wilkerson, ran the race, but uh, in order to keep him humble, we know he's working on that, I'm going to not tell you what his time was. So, <laughs> um, extraordinary days. Easter Sunday, last Sunday, was an extraordinary day around here and uh, at all of our campuses. We had about 6,100 people worshiping at all four locations um, throughout that day. It was a wonderfully extraordinary day around here. Um, but then there are those extraordinary days that are a bit more personal, uh, like, like the birth of your first child, extraordinary day, or the, or the first day of summer vacation, extraordinary day, or the day you walk your daughter down the aisle on her wedding day. Those are extraordinary days. So, but then there are, there, there are extraordinary days, but then there are those ordinary days, those run-of-the-mill days, those I've been there, done that kind of days that seems like we live them one after another after another. Like, uh, like laundry day, right? It happens every week, unless you're a college student, maybe once every month and a half or so, I don't know. <laughs> or, uh, or Saturday, let's get our chores done day, where you run out to the bank or stop at uh, O'Connor's Hardware and pick something up and maybe fixing the latch on a front door. Ordinary days. Or for students, most most every school day is sort of an ordinary day. You go to school, you take classes, you uh, go to your extracurriculars, you go home, do homework and study. Just an ordinary day. Well, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, most, most of our lives are made up of days like this. Um, one ordinary day after another. But simply because a day is ordinary doesn't mean it's unimportant. The ancient church calendar was ordered around two extraordinary days, still is. Those two days are Christmas and Easter, Jesus' birth and his resurrection. And leading up to Easter, there's, uh, there's, or leading up to Christmas, there's Advent, a season of Advent, and then leading up to the celebration of Easter is Lent. We've just made our way through that season. But then there's all these days and weeks and months that are nestled in between those, those high um, extraordinary day seasons, and just a long series of days that have come to be known as ordinary time. Ordinary time. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, these are unimportant days or unimportant parts of the season. It simply means that they're or ordered time outside of these very meaningful celebration times. One person explains it this way. He said, if, if believers are, are to mature in their spiritual life and increase in their faith, they must descend the great mountain peaks of Easter and Christmas in order to pasture in that vast, verdant meadow of ordinary time. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of what ordinary days are? Pasturing in a vast, verdant meadow of ordinary time. And the color of ordinary time in high church is, uh, is the color green, and it represents life, and it represents growth. And so what's true for the church is true in our lives as well. 
We can't just live going from one extraordinary day to the next, one after another. The bulk of our days are lived in ordinary ways. But because God cares about every aspect of our life, suddenly we realize that every day matters. It matters to God, and it matters for us. Um, This year, we've been talking a lot about living on mission. That's been sort of our theme for the year. And back in the fall, we talked about how we live on mission and how our mission connects to our work life. And uh, we had a series that was entitled Work Matters. Well, this spring, we're going to widen the lens a little bit, and we're going to take a look at a variety of aspects of life, different spheres of our lives, and see how those aspects or spheres of life matter to God and for our mission as well. We'll be looking at, uh, we'll be looking at our, our personal life and our life at home. We'll be taking a look at our life in our neighborhood and our life in our church. And even as we get ready for the summer, we're going to be talking about how our leisure time can be connected to our life on mission as well. And so the title of our series is Every Day Matters. And today we're going to begin by taking a look at our neighborhoods. And we find that our neighborhood matters. So that's where we'll start today. Back in 2009, a group of pastors from the Denver area were gathering together, about 20 of them, so that they could begin to think and dream and pray about what God might call them collectively to do to be on mission in their city. And uh, so they, like us, they wanted to live with a purpose in the location where their churches were planted. And so they invited a local mayor to join with them on, a, on one of their conversation days, brainstorming days. They asked the mayor a simple question. They said, how can we, as churches, best work together to serve our city? How can we work together to serve our city? And so for the next several hours, they entered, uh, entered into a lively discussion about many of the challenges that, uh, that a city faces, all uh, very similar challenges that uh, most cities face around the country. At-risk kids, uh, drug and alcohol, dependency and abuse, uh, loneliness, shut-ins who aren't cared for or tended to, child hunger, education uh, problems, dilapidated neighborhoods, and on and on the list uh, went. And for the next several hours, uh, but, but then after that conversation, the mayor said something that was quite remarkable. He said something that both caught the pastors off guard a bit, but eventually started to fuel their, their vision for what they could do. The mayor said this, He said, you know, the majority of the issues that that our community is facing could be eliminated or greatly reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. If we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. He went on to say that usually, you know, the response to to societal need in in government is to set up another government program. He said, but they don't always work. And what really works, he said, is is when people build relationships with one another because those relationships, they're both organic, but then they're ongoing and they can sustain themselves through time. He said, if our neighbors could just be in relationship with each other, that shut-in could be cared for by the person next door or the at-risk teen uh, could, be, could be mentored by a dad down the block. 
if our neighborhoods were stronger, some of these things would be eliminated. Well, after the mayor left the meeting this day, the group of pastors was left to reflect a little on what, what he'd shared. And after thinking for a little bit, one of the pastors said, is anybody in this room just a little embarrassed? I mean, basically, we invited the mayor of our city to come and tell us how we could help them. And what he said is, basically, is if you could just get your people to obey Jesus' teaching, our city would be a great city. If, if people in your churches would just obey the second half of the great commandment, then our cities would be better off. Well, simply put, the mayor invited the room full of pastors to get their people just simply to obey Jesus. We read the passage earlier. I'll read it again in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 31. It's Jesus, what we call Jesus' great commandment. One of the teachers of the law came and asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandments greater than these, Jesus said. No commandments greater than these. It turns out that loving our neighbors ranks in the top two. It's number two after the first commandment to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said this. It must be really important. It matters to Jesus, and it matters to our cities, our communities, our neighborhoods, our neighbors as well. So I thought, what if we did that as a church, as a church at all of our campuses? What if we committed to be great neighbors, to, to help our city of greater Boston become a community of great neighbors. We've been thinking a lot about making a dif difference in this great city of Boston and in the, the communities that, that make it up, the greater Boston area. And it seems to me if we ever stand a chance of making a dent in our society and in our city for good to help, to help alleviate some of the problems that exist around us, or if we're ever going to find opportunities to be salt and light in our world, then we need to take this command of Jesus more seriously. We need to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so that's what I want us to think about this morning. What does it mean to, to love our neighbors? What does it mean to be part of a growing movement of, of people who want to be great neighbors in their towns? And so now when I say neighbor, I want to move beyond what often we think about you know, Jesus' teaching about loving your neighbor, we sort of turn it into a platitude. And even the story of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan becomes, becomes a metaphor for being nice to everyone in general, right? The problem with that is, is it takes the teeth away, what, uh, for, uh, to away, away from what Jesus is actually calling us to do. Um, because metaphorically loving your metaphoric neighbor does no one any good. Do you get it? It's not enough just to have this platitude that rings around in our head. Uh, what would it be like if we actually thought about how we actually love our actual neighbors? Uh, and those neighbors, they have names. They have houses, apartments. 
They live in townhouses and condo units. Those neighbors are right around us. So I'd like us to, to think about our own neighborhood for just a moment. I'd like everybody to think about where it is that you live, where it is that you call home. And like I said, it could be a block of one-family homes. It could be a, a street full of triple-deckers somewhere inside the, the 128 ring. It could be an apartment complex. It could be a townhouse community. Wherever it is, wherever you have your dress, address, what would it mean for you to actually love your actual neighbors as you love yourself? Now, for some of you, the thought about bringing it this close to home um, makes you feel a little uncomfortable. I mean, I get it, right? We live in New England. I'm a New Englander as well. I know that it, oftentimes we see our homes as the place where we retreat to, where we cut off the rest of the world, turn off, and, uh, and just unwind. And it's often easy to think that the people around us in the houses or apartments nearby, they want to just stay to themselves as well. Um, after all, they're New Englanders as well, right? And so maybe another challenge is you think, well, I wouldn't have anything in common with my neighbor. I already have seen them, I know them, but we just don't have anything in common. Or maybe you have some fear about your neighbors. Uh, the relationship might become more of a time sink than I'm really excited about giving. Or, or you might encounter some messy situations or some uncomfortable people. And you just want to guard yourself from that. I understand that. As a matter of fact, Jesus understands that as well. There was a man who heard Jesus teaching about loving your neighbor, and he was looking for a loophole to make sure that it didn't cost him very much. You know, he, he asked the question, so who is my neighbor, right? And uh, when he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor, inside he was hoping that Jesus would say, well, your neighbor are the people who are already all of your friends, they're the people in your life who are a lot like you. They're the people who have had the same upbringing, the same religious background, the, the same ethnic heritage. You, you vote in the same way at the polls. Those are your neighbors. That's what the man was hoping that Jesus would say. But Jesus blows this kind of thinking out of the water when he tells his listener the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we heard that earlier. You see, Jewish people didn't see Samaritans as their neighbors at all. They saw Samaritans as their enemies, as traitors or turncoats, as, as half-breeds and outcasts. They're, they're, we're told that even to have a Samaritan shadow pass over you would make you unclean. And so the Samaritan would be the last person this young uh, um, religious person would have wanted Jesus to give an answer for. But it's interesting, in Jesus' answer, he, he turns it on his head. <clears throat> Not only does he say that the Samaritan is the one that you need to neighbor, remember, in the story, the Samaritan becomes the example of what a great neighbor looks like. Talk about tweaking it just a little further, Jesus. That the Samaritan becomes the hero and the model in the story of what neighboring looks like. And so when we think about loving our neighbor, Jesus is calling us to press beyond our comfort zones, to move beyond that, that circumference of, of comfort and, and allow ourselves to love beyond the places where it's comfortable. And so if you have reluctance, that's okay. Jesus says, go for it. It's part of living on mission is taking this sort of risk and stepping across some of these lines. It's an indication that together we are on a great adventure 
for God. Now, I remember when Julie and I moved into the neighborhood where we live right now in Billerica, in this thickly settled little subsection of town. Um, I remember one of the first things after moving in that Julie did was something that, that began to chart a course for the way that we were going to live uh, there in that town. Um, it, was, it was a very strategic move, but it was very ordinary and very simple. You know what she did? She drew a map of our neighborhood. And here it is. looks something like this. And, and that map represented just a simple aspiration for her especially and us uh, as we've grown into this to, to know our neighbors, to know who they are. Each of the houses represented a household and people, people who mattered to God and people who God wanted to matter to us. And so that's how we started. Uh, the fact is loving your neighbor simply begins by knowing who your neighbors are by knowing who your neighbors are. You can't love people that you don't know. So I'd like to lead you in a little exercise right now. At all the campuses, you are given a half sheet of paper, um, and that half sheet of paper, I don't have mine, but, uh, oh yes, I do. <laughs> Here we go. Half sheet of paper looks something like this. It has nine boxes on it, and in the center is, uh, is your household. Now, this represents your neighborhood. Now, I know in New England, no neighborhood looks like this. <laughs> this is a grid. I don't know if you've known that. That's what some neighborhoods in other parts of the country look like. Um, for some reason in New England, you know, a cow was wandering around a path, and uh, eventually somebody said, let's pave it, you know, and that's going to be our road. That's the way it happens around here. But what I'd love for you to do is just take a moment and um, think about eight people who live right around you, and pencil in, in the households, pencil in their names on this sheet, okay? Don't worry, we're not going to grade this or anything like that, but I want to give you just a few minutes uh, to do that. Think of eight people who live nearby, in your apartment, townhouse, whatever, and pencil in their names on this sheet of paper. Go right ahead. If you need a half sheet, just throw up your hand. Okay, we'll stop there. Maybe you didn't get all eight. Maybe you're glad I didn't give you more time. <laughs> um, but I want you to stop there. Uh, knowing our neighbor starts with knowing their names, right? Knowing who they are. The next step I'd like you to take is to, uh, to fill in a little bit more information under the names that you've already written. And maybe that information is uh, sort of relevant information that is about, uh, you know, simple things that you'd learn about them from a quick conversation. Where do you work? Where are they from? Where did they move in from? Um, how long have they been married? That sort of thing. So you can put that. And then if you go a little deeper, maybe had some more relationship time with folks, you could actually 
um, dig down a little deep and, and add some in-depth information about each of the neighbors. You know, what, what are their dreams? What are they hoping for? What are their frustrations at work or uh, with their family challenges? All of that. Um, so take, take another couple minutes, and just to give you a little inspiration, we'll give you a little background music um, that we can play. So go right ahead. <laughs> didn't think this would happen in church today, did you? It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. All right, all right, that's so. enough, probably. That's good, that's good. You can't talk about neighborhoods without including Mr. Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Well, good. Well, hopefully you had a little time just to consider the people who lived around you. I wanted you to do that because I wanted it to get very practical this morning. Um, maybe some of you were, had an easy time filling in some of that information, maybe easy time about some of the families. Um, maybe you are a neighborhood-savvy and you, uh, you make this your livelihood, and uh, you find a way to really care about people. But either way, my hope for, for you with this sheet of paper, and you can take it home and con continue to, to let it help guide and shape the direction of your life. Uh, my hope is that you begin to see, uh, get a little aspiration about being a better neighbor, to think. Maybe you see your shortcoming, and you say, I, I should know the people who live next to me, at least their names. Maybe, maybe just their last name is all I need, or first name. Um, but maybe it gives you the opportunity to think about taking the next steps. Our map actually hung inside of our, uh, our kitchen cabinet door, so every time we pulled out the plates, there was our, our neighborhood map, and it just reminded us of, of that aspiration for ourselves. Uh, a few months after we made up that map, actually this wasn't it, uh, um, but we made up a map just like that. We placed it on the table, and we invited a bunch of our neighbors over. And we figured we'd moved into the neighborhood, and nobody threw us a party, so we decided to throw a party ourselves and, and invite everybody up and down the block to come on. And as they came, they could uh, write their name, their phone number, just information about themselves on that piece of paper on that map. And so we actually saw the map uh, listed with all of our friends, now friends' uh, names listed uh, right there. So this sort of thing can happen in your neighborhood. This sort of thing can happen in the neighborhoods of our churches as well. One of the reasons why we've, we've chosen a multi-campus church uh, model and, and strategy is, is to be more present in more communities around greater Boston. Um, our fourth and fifth graders in, uh, at our Wilmington campus decided that they would, they would begin to think about who lives around us. And right across the street, there's an apartment complex. And so a couple of months ago, they started praying for the neighbors in that apartment complex. And uh, they actually made up a map, and here it is, the Regency, uh, Regency Apartments. Um, so they could see how many people lived, 120 units, 120 families living there. And uh, as we let up, our we as our weeks led up to Easter, um, Corey and Josh, the, uh, the teachers there, 
had the kids draw up little postcards that they would send, handmade postcards that they sent out to each one of the neighbors in that apartment complex. And then when Easter time came and the kids were ready to be part of the greeting team as they made their way, uh, as people made their way in, the kids were just eager to see, did anybody come over from the Regency uh, apartments? And sure enough, a few of them did. And it just filled the kids' uh, lives with joy. And it's just a way that, that we can do this sort of thing, not only in our neighborhoods where we live, but we need to be doing more of this as, as churches that are located in uh, communities and neighborhoods. But knowing who our neighbors are, that's simply the first step. But then knowing leads to caring. Knowing leads to caring. And so when, once you start learning more about the people around you, once you start diving a little deeper in this chart, you start to find out what are some of the challenges and joys and heartbreaks and hardships that your neighbors experience, the people around you experience. And then that knowing can move to caring for them in those moments. Now, I have a true confession moment here with all of you. I missed out on the uh, Seven Deadly Sins series, so I didn't have to uh, confess publicly one of my struggles. But, but I'll tell you, one of the challenges for me, I'm very, it's very easy for me to get to know people and let people uh, into our sphere. Um, but it's moving to caring that's the hard thing for me personally. Um, and there are all kinds of reasons for that, I'm sure, and probably some of you feel the same way, to actually move to feel like you can do something. Sometimes you feel overwhelmed, like anything that I would do would be trite or considered small. Or maybe you just feel like once I start, it's going to usurp all of my time. And so it's hard. We're all very busy people, too. And when you come home from work, and when you come home at the end of the day and have weekends, um, sometimes it's hard to make space to move from knowing to caring. Um, the message, uh, the most challenging part of the parable of the Good Samaritan for me is found right there in those verses at the beginning. The message translation gets the irony of it all very nicely. I'll read it. The man was uh, robbed and beaten and left half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw the man, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up, and he also avoided the injured man. Now, we all know what it's like in life to sort of angle our way to the other side of the needs of people around us. Um, but can I say, imagine how it feels like being a religious leader reading that passage. Um, it's really hard. It is a bit of a stinging rebuke. But at the same time, we all know those moments where we move beyond our fears and anxieties and hesitations and move in to care for people that are around us. Those are some of the richest, most rewarding times relationally. Those are the times when you actually do feel like God is using you to live on mission. And so if we, if we react with hesitancy and don't move forward, we miss out on the chance to really live on mission with God. And so in our neighborhood, when someone has a loss, it's just amazing to see how, how other people have begun to respond as well. How they reach out with food and support and encouragement. And, and it doesn't mean that when somebody, when you're caring for people, that, that you have to take on everything for yourself. Simple acts matter. A note, some flowers, a word of encouragement, a stop on the way down your neighborhood when you're walking for, to get some exercise. Whatever it is, those, those simple interactions make a big difference. I've always been encouraged when I read the, the Good Samaritan that 
that the Samaritan didn't stop and live with the man who was beaten. He stopped and cared for him, and then he went on and continued living his life and came back and checked in. He didn't put everything on hold, and neither do we. But knowing needs to move to caring if we're going to move closer to loving our neighbors as ourselves. Well, maybe you'd like a little practice discovering the joy of caring, simple acts of care. Um, well, we've got a great opportunity right ahead on May 10th where over 85 projects have been gathered, many of them by neighbors who care about their neighbors, who put forward a project for Spring Serve that people can come and help them care for their neighbors in very tangible ways. We also have some organizations and uh, um, some non-for-profits that have identified some needs in a variety of neighborhoods. So we have a chance to care very, um, very tangibly on May 10th at Spring Serve. Uh, I asked uh, the Frost family, their family uh, at Grace, and uh, Roy, the dad, is actually the deputy uh, chief police, uh, police officer at, in his town. I asked them to share about their experience with Spring Serve last year, just to give you a flavor of what it's all about. Why don't you take a look at the screens? I'm Karen Frost. I'm Logan Frost. I'm 10 years old. Um, Roy. I'm Avery Frost. I'm 9 years old. So tell us a little bit about your experience at Spring Serve last year. It was a great experience for us as a family. We met here. We met with our team leader. We went out to Barica. We were able to help an elderly woman do a bunch of landscaping on her yard. I got to use the backpack flower, help Ray plant some flowers in. At the end, she gave us some raspberry jam and we got some brownies. You know, everyone's really pumped up. You break up into groups, they have coffee and, and uh, you know, a little snack here for you before you go. And um, everyone just leaves the parking lot ready to, to, to go attack it. When we got to the, the home, we, just, we were just excited to get there because you could tell it was a beautiful yard that had been neglected and needed some, uh, some upkeep. Avery, what was your favorite part of the day? Um, planting the pink flowers and um, raking the dirt and mulch and stuff into the wheelbarrows and putting them in the flower beds and all around the trees and stuff. There's so many opportunities to serve in this church to get our kids involved in kind of walking the gospel as, as we hear it here on, on, on our Sundays. We have a great opportunity to interact with people that way, uh, but not just in the, uh, the the confines of a church atmosphere, but in the community. Karen and I are both in public service. We have in our whole lives, and being able to do this as part of our, as our belief system as well has helped us to show our kids uh, the value of it, and they definitely enjoy it. Uh, what would you say to people who are thinking about being a part of Spring Serve this coming year and uh, on May 10th, but are on the fence about it? It's a quick day. It's not a long day, and it, it's a great it's a great bang for your for your time. Spending the morning out there doing something, getting out, breathing the fresh air, meeting people that you go to church with, or meeting people in the community that you live in. It's not a long day, and it's not a ton of work. You you break the work up amongst everybody, and it becomes actually fun. We had a lot of laughs. You get a tremendous sense of reward afterwards too, just as a family to watch the smiles on your kids' faces. Mm -hmm. Children, you know you get a chance to just be a family and help somebody. You should do it. It's really fun to do yeah. and help people. Some kids in my class go to church, but they don't really get to do all the spring serve stuff. So I say to them sometimes, maybe you should try to come here and do the spring serve and stuff. 
great. Well, thanks guys for coming this morning and uh, sharing a bit of your experience with us. Really appreciate it. Great. We actually have, Richard told me we have 85 projects around four campuses, so uh, we need about 1,000 folks to come on out. It's going to be a wonderful day. It's not going to rain. It's going to be sunny and cool. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. So loving your neighbor starts with knowing your neighbor. It moves towards caring for your neighbor, and eventually it moves to sharing with your neighbor. And uh, when we get to know folks, we do. We start, to, we start to care for them, and then we share things. We share we share tools. We share rakes and lawnmowers in the wintertime. Um, we share a walk uh, around the block. We share our neighborhoods, or rather our, our living rooms, so our kids can play. We, and ultimately, we begin to share our lives with our neighbors. We cultivate friendship over time that breaks down barriers and allows us to be our truest selves as we get to know people the people around us. And so we start to share our lives. And when we share our lives as followers of Jesus, inevitably in those conversations, we start to share about our love for God and about God's love for the world. It just becomes a part of letting someone know who we are. There's a woman who attends our church in Wilmington who's been coming for a few years now. And her name is Vicki. And Vicki has, over the course of a couple of years, I, I've just seen her bring people to church from her apartment complex. She always introduced them to me in the lobby. And I was really interested to hear from her, how does she do it? How do you share your life in such a genuine way that people want to come with you to church? Um, because I knew it wasn't an evangelism strategy for her. I knew it was just a genuine outpouring of the way she lived. And so I asked her if she could send me an email this past week and and tell me a little bit more of her story. And I'd like to read that uh, to you this morning. Here's what she said. She said, the story starts before I started coming to Grace. During one of my shifts at the neighborhood health club daycare where I work, two of my favorite moms were having a conversation about, church, about a church service that they'd attended together recently. Now, it's not at all uncommon to hear moms talk about sleepless nights, tantrums, or sales on diapers in the playroom with exhilaration and passion, but we do not very often hear them talking about their church this way. I was experiencing a really rough time in my own personal life and felt connected to both women, enough to ask them about the place they were talking about. They also lived in the apartment complex that I lived in, so we had many opportunities to cross paths and talk frequently. So they told me their church was Grace Chapel, and they graciously invited me to come. When I went to Grace shortly thereafter, I could hardly believe my experience there. It was as if I found what I did not know existed, or what I had been looking for all along. I felt like I was at home, even though it was my first time there. I'd never been someplace so welcoming, and the service hadn't even started. The band, the heartfelt prayers, the relevant teaching of the sermon, the acceptance of new faces, the fellowship... It all felt so right. My mom friends soon left that complex and moved, away, moved far away, but I continued to attend Grace Chapel each week and even joined a life community through the church. I felt the excitement that my friends were feeling, uh, and I couldn't help but share it with others as well. It seemed like there was always opportunities for me to invite people to learn more with me on my journey. I'd hit a low point 
And at that point, I had invited two of my best friends to join me so they could see what brought such joy into my days during even my darkest hours. Not long, long after that, another neighbor of mine found herself in a position of needing and seeking support. We met through a mutual friend, and after just two conversations in the apartment, I felt compelled to invite her to Grace Chapel with me. She too founded a place she wanted to come, and she continues to worship with me each week and has become very involved in the church community. That very same neighbor who introduced us to one another also was looking for deeper relationship with Jesus and seemed open to attending the church with me. So we went together, and she had a great experience. When I stop and think back on my friends at that gym that day, and how because they had been so open about their faith with me two years ago, I've discovered a church that's brought new meaning into my life. And then I think that I hope that in my daily interactions with the people that I can make a difference in their lives in the same way, by sharing what I've learned and leading, to, leading them to a place that has made such a difference for me. Isn't that an amazing story? Genuine, authentic, sharing life to life in a way that is, that is not coercive or manipulative in any way. You see, that's what happens when we neighbor well. We come into a community around people who may not be quite like us. We start knowing them and caring for them, and ultimately, we find a way to share the love of Christ with them as time goes. Well, I'd like to leave you with the image of one more map this morning, and it's this one. This is a map of everybody at Grace Chapel who is an attender or a regular, who's a regular attender or member who's been around Grace, you know, either for a short time or for quite some time. Take a look at that. Isn't that remarkable? In, in the greater Boston area, we have these folks as part of our church. The reason I wanted you to see that map is because I wanted you to consider two things as we close. First of all, I want you to know that you are not alone. There are people all over the greater Boston area in every town and in most communities that are seeking to live the life that Jesus calls us to live, to obey his commands, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You're not alone. And then think, add on to that, all the followers of Jesus from other churches as well. The second thing I wanted you to realize was, was simply come with me and allow your imagination to consider what might happen if every one of us sought to love our neighbors the way Jesus calls us to love them. What would happen in greater Boston, in this community? What would happen if we sought to know our neighbors, sought to care for our neighbors, sought to share our lives with our neighbors? It could be what life on mission looks like. John 1.14, in the message version, says that when Jesus came into the world, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God is doing that again through Christ's work. Only this time it's as Jesus takes up residence in each of our spirits, as his spirit lives in us, and as we make our way into the communities and neighborhoods where we live. 
is Jesus moving into the neighborhood through you and through me as we learn what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for this good morning where we could pause and consider the significance of what often seems like an ordinary part of life, life in our neighborhoods, life at home with the people next door. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the significance of those interactions. Like Vicki, we would come to a place to realize a simple sharing of our life could transform the life of a person next to us. God, a simple acts of care can lift the burdens of people around us. Lord, we want to be your people in the places where you've planted us for the sake of your kingdom and the good of the world around us, we pray. Amen. Amen.